1: To the uh, fourth episode of Conspiranormal. This is your host, Adam Sane. This
0: is your co host, Luke Reed.
1: Lucas Reed. And tonight, uh, we have a very special guest, uh, one Tom Bionic. But, uh. Word. Luke, do you have anything to say about our guest last week, Prime?
0: Prime is an in- interesting
1: fellow. Yes, he is. Uh, I don't know who the person Joe is you're referring to, but. Uh,
0: yeah, Joe is the
1: he, he doesn't exist, but uh, without further ado, uh, going to explain who Tom Bionic is. He is a good friend of mine. He is also was the uh, co-host of the Future Quake radio show. Uh, a couple of shows ago, we had uh, Doctor Future on, mm-hmm. and now we have the co the old co-host, mm-hmm. Tom excellent Bionic, excellent dancer. And we're going to talk tonight about a subject that is, uh, I think, very impor- important and very pertinent. To today's world, Mm -hmm. and a lot of things that are going on that uh, may or may not be um, strange things in the world that you may see and that you hear on the news that may not always appear as they are, and uh, that is the um, topic of false flag terror. And uh, Mister Bodic, before we get that, just uh, can you go over kind of uh, who you are and uh, why, how you became interested
2: in that? Well. Um, yeah, man, one of the things that, that sort of appeals to me, uh, in my, in my life and in my, uh, day to day existence is truth, you know, it's the reason I became a believer. Uh, it's the reason why this is important, you know, people sit in there, watch TV and they sort of get a a picture of how they think the world works. When in reality, it's a good bit more difficult. It's a good bit more complicated, and uh, in, a, in in a lot of very real senses, it's very, it's a good deal more biblical. You know, they talk about the Bible talks and makes references to the rulers of this world being spiritual in nature and and you know doing evil stuff. Well, when you start looking at who's really behind doing terrorism stuff like that, you see that it's just like pure evil for nothing but greed and power and. Um, well, those two are pretty good starts, sure. Um, uh, specifically to the false flag terrorism thing, uh, I, I have some might say even sort of an overdeveloped sense of justice. Uh, and a lot of people, uh, uh, a lot of people tend to see this information and just are, aren't moved by it. I find it incredibly moving because oftentimes people are thrown in prison and moved uh, move to destroy others' lives. Uh, because they think that things are going one way, and when reality they're being pushed another. Um, so uh, the greatest, I would say the greatest reason to be, as a listener of Conspiranormal or any other place that you might encounter this type of venue, the greatest reason to be uh, interested in this sort of stuff is because of its explanatory value of what's really going on.
1: Right. And, and I think that's going on more than people think. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear a lot about 911 mm-hmm. and that's one of the more at least to me and to Luke uh one of the more obvious ones um, mm-hmm. that that we believe that there's a lot more to 911 than what we're told like in the 911 commission report yes and and such like that and um but uh can you kind of define false flag terror what that term
2: means yeah and, uh we can go You'll, you'll see false flag terrorism and two things, really, false flag terrorism and clandestine regime change. We talk, I talk a lot about those sort of in the same sentence. Really, they're two separate instances, but they're, they're, joined, they're joined sort of like a Siamese twin uh, at the hip uh, from the idea of like a government clandestinely doing things, you know, uh, wreaking violence on another people group or country. Uh, but for uh, and i 'll define both of those, so false flag terrorism would be a terrorist event wherein the facts events and/ or perpetrators are misrepresented or are covered up usually it 's used as a message generator uh, in that the events uh, the events in question are used as a political tool to, usually to push a populace towards bigger government or to, to sort of love or, and embrace the government. Uh, clandestine regime change. Is uh, it's a move to overthrow a government uh, and to install a replacement government that's more sympathetic to uh, another people group or or you know the the people doing the regime change. It's usually done by or with the support of outside security or intelligence agencies, and uh, or governments. Uh, usually, it's multiple governments sort of working in concert. Um, so. Some typical characteristics of a false flag terrorist event would include things like uh, it would be like a complex and highly organized event, but it's done with grassroots groups with little with little training supposedly. You know, uh, it would be like the four of us who've j- only just met this evening. Uh, you know, uh, the three of you guys know each other, but I've only just met most of uh, the the other two. Gentlemen, this evening it'd be like the four of us getting together this evening going hey let's go kidnap the president you know right it'd be well it's a little bit more difficult than that um you see that the blamed oftentimes does not benefit from the attack uh, a great example of that uh, would be a lot of these things that you see um you see in the news media uh where uh, the fbi will will put some guy up um to going into a mosque and whipping a bunch of dudes up. You know, uh, there was the guy, the four gentlemen who said that they were going to start a land war in North America for the
1: ones in Miami. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because just this week or last week, the the supposed FBI sting on uh, guys who wanted to blow up a bridge in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Same situation.
2: Yep. Um, A great one that people should check out. If you go to YouTube uh, and type in, uh, Fox News um, Aswat. The guy's name is A S W A T. He's a he's a Muslim guy, and he was sort of the mastermind behind the 7/7 bombings. Uh, if you go in there and type in Fox News Aswat, yeah, you'll see um, a great sort of cover uh, of uh, then his name escapes me, but he's a he 's an operative uh, He was the former director of the CIA who gets on and talks about how this guy was being protected the whole time by the uh, by Scotland Yard and m i six you know he said while he 's doing all these things m i six is protecting him because he's a he 's an informant so uh, at the very least and and this is from you know a high government official saying this all at Fox News at the very least the the obvious things that you can conclude from this is that um, either they either they were in the, in somehow in the planning process or they knew about it and let it happen anyway um and that would be a great example of the blamed not benefiting from the attack you know what what benefit did what benefit did uh, um, uh you know the the Muslim movement sort of gain from uh the seven seven bombings probably nothing well I mean they yeah, basically, you know, it depends on their strategy. Most people would say it was to strike terror, but when you go and you, you know, well, one notable thing to see about sort of the Muslim movement these days, uh, as it's expressed in in violent terror and all that stuff is that they don't have a like what are they what are they trying to accomplish? You know. And the answer is is it's not not entirely clear, uh but stated objectives are that they want to have um they they want to stop their their lands from getting bombed and they want to stop uh they they want to push the american presence out of the middle east well how does how does blowing up a bunch of people in england do that you know it answer it really doesn't uh another another great version of that and uh, i'm i'm waxing long here on this second point but another great version of that would be uh <coughs> the uh, uh nuevo what is it uh it was an Italian group that did a lot of false flag terrorism in the '70s. They ended up uh, They ended up picking up Aldo Moro, who was the former prime minister and assassinating him. Um, and unfortunately, you know how does that help how does that help these guys who are trying to uh, bring about a more uh, uh, you know a, uh, a more free government, a free republic? Answer it doesn't. It makes people afraid so they can fear. Uh, the, you know, fear this sort of unknown thing and embrace more larger government. Uh, third point, those responsible for the ta- attacks are often let off the hook in court. Um, you see this, this happens, this happened, uh, the classic example off the top of my head would be the uh, uh, the two brothers. They were, I, I, their name escapes me, but during, and we'll probably talk about this at some point tonight, Muhammad, Mos- Muhammad Mosaddegh and his overthrow in 1953. In Iran. Uh, One of the things that they did is that these two brothers that work for the CIA kidnapped the chief of police and drove him out into the desert and waited, called the police on themselves and then waited till people showed up to grab him and then shot him. So everybody sort of saw, you know, and it was just this act of incredible, incredible calculated violence. The two brothers went to court uh, and were both let off the hook on technicalities. Uh, Another good, Another good example would be a guy named Ali Aksa. He was a Turkish terrorist. Uh, He ended up, his name might be famous to some staunch Roman Catholics because he tried to shoot the Pope in the 80s. Uh, Before that, he was, you know, he was a big terrorist guy, big state-sponsored terrorist guy in Turkey with the Grey Wolves. And there are several occasions where he was funneled out of state prisons and stuff through three and four and five sets of security corridors, and nobody seems to know anything. Um I mean his big his big thing was eventually he took on too big of a you know too big of a fish by you know trying to shoot the Pope. That didn't <laughs> um Right. Yeah. Uh uh I'm I'm waxing long on these points here, but the fourth point is law enforcement agencies oftentimes engage uh in a cover up during or after the event. So to just recap here into some hard sort of hard ideas, Uh, you see that false flag terrorism includes these four things oftentimes. They are complex and highly organized, but from grassroots groups groups with little training. The blamed do not benefit from the attack. In fact, the attack often galvanizes public opinion against the blamed party, and sometimes it's used as as a move towards strong authoritarian government. Uh, The third point would be those responsible for these things are uh, let off the hook in court. They just sort of miraculously get out or something, uh, fourthly, law enforcement agencies oftentimes engage in a cover up during and after the after the event, so those are four strong characteristics of false flag terrorism.
1: It, can you kind of go over um, since you've kind of gone through the elements and the characteristics, um, like historical examples. Um, <clears throat> Mm-hmm. before we get into operation gladio which is more kind of your expertise yeah and a lot of detail on that but mm-hmm. some some historical examples that i can think of off the top of my head would be like the possibly the uss maine and mm-hmm. uh, definitely like the uss liberty well, and kind of those uh, <coughs> the cia back coups in guatemala and mm-hmm. chile and well i think you of,
2: can go i think you can go farther back than that you know there's uh, uh as a you know as a pretty serious born again christian you can go all the way back to you know say seventy A.D. and look at uh, look at the burning of Rome under Nero. Uh, uh, it was sort of it was sort of the world's first gentrification project. Uh, Nero wanted to re sort of rebuild the inner interior of Rome, but he didn't know it's like it's not like I can just seize all the land and run it over with a bulldozer because bulldozers don't exist. So what he does is he actually. Uh, and, and several, several historians, ancient historians kind of pin this on him. Um, they say that he started the fire and then blamed it on the Christians. And uh, and then he used that to then rebuild the inner interior, inner city, which simultaneously, you know, you know, he's able to to build Rome up and uh, start the hatred for this group in earnest. You know, early believers, earlier followers, followers of Christ. So that would be one really great example that, that people oftentimes miss.
1: It seems like it's the classic textbook like example, kind of sets the stage. Yeah. You know, blame it on your enemy, you mm. know, what you do, blame it on your enemy.
2: Yeah. You sort of take, in that sense, you're taking care of two birds with one stone. You know, Nero didn't like the believers, uh, the early believers, because they, they saw themselves as good citizens, and they saw themselves as people who would follow the rules. But they also saw themselves essentially as citizens of heaven. And so in that sense, uh, they would refuse to bow to the idea that he was God. So, you know, that's to a guy who's not God, you know, that's kind of like an ego burn, you know. Well, these guys who are obviously really nice, they don't want to bow to me. So I'll, I'll kill two birds with one stone. I've got this problem with uh, urban, you know, urban renewal here. And I've got these people I don't like. Let's burn the place down so I can start the urban renewal and blame it on the people I don't like. It's perfect. Um, Some more recent examples. You might even say that the Boston Tea Party, in some sense, might have been a false flag event. You know, Uh, the idea was uh, just based on based on some of the things that I've read, uh, some of the journal entries of the people involved with that. There was a general sense where everybody's going to dress up as Indians and then go and throw all this tea in the harbor uh so they can avoid prosecution um uh, it depends on how you look at the look at the american revolution that may be a rare event where things were so galvanized that uh this sort of false flag event actually sort of came about for real in a grassroots way you know but it was a way as de- it was definitely a way of deflecting blame from the um uh not getting caught by the by the redcoats uh, some more recent ones, as you, as you mentioned, the USS Maine, you know, uh, Roosevelt actually, uh, even apologized for that, uh, in a, in a later letter, sorry, sorry, Spain, we, we really blew up our own ship. It was our fault. Um, uh, nevertheless, 750,000 dead Filipinos, uh, later, you know, for our, uh, for American imperialistic sort of aspirations, um. Let's see what else, well, of course, the Reichstag fire in germany uh, theres is, there's is some evidence I'm just learning, uh talking to different people and sort of running it down. Pearl Harbor I actually have a uh, I have a paper that says it's the Hilo Times uh, um, it says uh, Japan attacks within days it's the the headline of the and Hilo that Times was
1: like november twenty seventh or something yeah, I think it was November thirtieth yeah,
2: yeah. Um, uh, there's also a there's also a news a newspaper. Uh, a, a news journalist who sat down with a gentleman who was, um, uh, he was the guy who was negotiating with the Japanese at that time, and he sat down and said, uh, "There's going to be a t- there's going to be an attack," uh, and he was very specific. It's just narrowed it down to one or two days, and he said, "There's going to be an attack," and the reason I'm telling you this is because somebody's going to get hung out to draw in this, and it's not going to be me. And the guy said, "Well, should I write about it?" And he said, "No." Here's a letter post-dated but with my handwriting. If anything happens, publish it and uh, they met they met in um in washington d c in a park somewhere uh in in late November, and he gave him all that info um, and uh, the newspaper guy he's once he's a i I don't recall his name, unfortunately, but I can look it up. Um, he's a pulitzer prize winning uh reporter, and this was one of the things that he said, the final things that he said. Um, you know, there are, uh, it's just on and on and on like that. Uh, there appears to be some evidence that the, uh, uh, the sinking of the Lusitania was a false flag event. You know, Churchill was involved and these other things.
1: About, Pearl Harbor, it always was very suspicious to me that the, um, and this kind of goes back, there's always exercises kind of involved with mm-hmm. all these things that the aircraft carriers were safely out to sea on an exercise. And mm-hmm. it was the aircraft carriers and not the battleships that made the difference mm-hmm. in the Pacific Theater of World War II. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that was interesting.
2: Yeah. It's uh, – uh that you make a good point. You know, one of the things that you see if you just go sort of point by point through the defenses of Japan versus the United States, you can see that Japan was going to lose. I mean, it was just – they just were. They had 240-odd planes that were aircraft – that were like Uh, like combat ready uh the united states had about ten thousand. you know so you're just not going to win with with, you know at a four to one disadvantage you're you're not going to win you know the land mass you you know the entire united states taking on a country that's roughly the size of california maybe smaller uh it's just it's not it's a it's a foolish move uh And and like you say, one of the things, one you know, lo and behold, here are the aircraft carriers all out to sea, um, nice and safe. Yeah, yeah. You know, more recently, I think you can see you can see a lot of these sort of same things. Uh, uh, we tend to not go to war as much now. There's another tool in the kit um, when it comes to dealing with other nations and and seizing resources and uh, and people groups and stuff like that. And that's debt. Um, debt. Probably is a you know certainly is a is a is a cost for another show, but uh oftentimes debt is used people uh, a team of people will go into a country and then uh, convince convince this this group of people that govern this country to take a loan that they can never possibly pay back and they always use that use that thing over them to sort of control them uh let's see other false flag events we talked about briefly about the Reichstag fire. Uh, the annexation of the Sudetenland there were some things there where they were blaming the Czechs on aggression certainly uh, uh, the, uh, the incursion into Poland Germany 1939 could
1: you yeah, know Goliath's radio station mm-hmm.
2: yep um, let's see I mean that's those are some those are some pretty good ones right there uh, I'm, I'm sure if we sat here and racked our brain we'd probably come up with some more um,
1: USS Liberty
2: yeah the USS Liberty is a good one um the only the only thing that the brave men of the Liberty didn't do for the state was die. You know they they held they held on to it. They held yeah. on and 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 through Let, some.
1: Let's go into that a little bit. What that was. and sure. Who the parties were that were involved.
2: Well, the USS Liberty incident uh, was a, a false flag a false flag in, incident that happened in um, oh geez nineteen sixty. What was the date on that? I'm, I'm looking it up 67. here. Thank you. It happened in 1967. Um, I'm still looking for my date here. I've, I've got tons of notes. The problem was I wrote about 75 pages of yeah. notes here. So
1: It was during uh, the Six-Day War, so I think it was like June or something.
2: Yeah, here Maybe. it is, June 8th, 1967. Uh, from the available data, we can piece together what appears to be an Israeli and American backdoor agreement to sink the USS Liberty and blame it on Egypt. On June 8, 1967, a U.S. naval vessel off the coast of the Sinai Peninsula was deliberately attacked by Israeli aircraft and naval units. The USS Liberty was strafed by Israeli aircraft, torpedoed by gunboats, machine gunned by helicopters, and almost boarded by Israeli special forces over a single afternoon. Um, And this isn't my opinion, by the way. This is there are lots of opinions, and let me just give you a smattering. This is CIA, Richard, CIA Director Richard Helms. He said the Board of Inquiry concluded that the Israelis knew exactly what they were doing in attacking the Liberty. Uh, here's another one. Uh, I think this one was William Odom. I have to scroll down here. Yep. This is former NSA Director and retired Army Lieutenant General William Odom. Uh, he says the attack was deliberate. That the attack was deliberate just wasn't a disputed issue within the National Security Agency. Uh, NSA Director, Deputy Director Oliver Kirby said at the time, I can tell you for an absolute certainty from the intercepted communications that the Israelis knew they were attacking an American ship. You know, so it seems to in the upper echelon of power of Washington, say, that seems to be, that just seems to be the, the par for the course you know oh of course it's a false flag terrorism you know we hose down a bunch of our boys and then we get to nuke egypt that was the general plan sure um
1: they were going to say that they the israelis are going to say that they sunk a uh, egyptian plane uh
2: egyptian ship egyptian ship yep uh the egyptians sunk an american american uh the egyptians sunk an american ship okay yeah that's the idea uh, and then they were going to say that that was a deliberate act of war, and then the Americans were going to go get to move in on the Egyptians and and stomp them like a, I don't know, something you stomp on, <laughs> lapdog, misbehaving. I don't know, you know. And it's funny because
1: you, you you and Doctor Future did a whole show on this with a survivor mm-hmm. of um, the USS Liberty incident, and one of the most compelling shows that you ever did, mm-hmm. and it's on the Future Quick website. Mm-hmm. Anybody that's listening to this can can check it out. I may link it as well um, to that, but it's mm-hmm. it's those guys they they took a beating and they they put up the American flag and there was no possible way mm-hmm. that that the Israelis could mistake them for any other ship when you got the American flag flying really high, mm-hmm. and they just kept on coming and kept on coming. I think there was a submarine, an Israeli submarine that was involved in that as well if I'm not mistaken
2: uh, there, were two, there were two Israeli torpedo boats that torpedo were involved boats, yeah. now the interesting thing is that uh, just from talking to some people and, and maybe, I'm, maybe I'm betraying some trust here I hope not I, was, I think I was told this with the idea that it could become public knowledge was the USS the SS Jackson I believe it was the SS Andrew Jackson it was, a, it was an American submarine actually got the whole thing on film and they had been tailing the tailing thing so somewhere out there in the archives uh actually exists videotape of uh the the USS Liberty getting torpedoed.
1: And is there something that uh Lyndon Johnson the president at the time saying that there's some kind of recording or or some uh mm-hmm. memoir that says uh that he wanted that effing ship to go down to the bottom? Mm-hmm. Yes. something like that. Yeah, I don't colorful care if that language the
2: ship goes to the bottom. Yep. Uh, here's a. Here are some selected parts of a statement uh, from the, one of the lead investigators, Ward Boston Jr., uh, which he placed into the public record in 2004 because he felt that an attempt to rewrite history and whitewash both parties, that is the United States and Israel, um, from any wrongdoing was going on. And he was like, no, we things have to stand history has to stand on this and he says and i'll just read it's a much much longer statement but i'll just read a couple of things he says i Ward boston jr do declare that the following statement is true and complete for more than 30 years i've remained silent on the topic of uss liberty i'm a military man and when orders come in from the secretary of defense and president of the united states i follow them however recent attempts to rewrite history compel me to share the truth in, in June of 1967, while serving as a captain of the Judge Advocate General Corps Department of the Navy, I was assigned as a senior legal counsel for the Navy's Court of Inquiry into the brutal attack on USS Liberty, which had occurred on June 8th. The late Admiral C, the late Admiral Isaac C. Kidd, uh, president of the court, and I were given only one week to gather evidence for the Na- Navy's official investigation into the attack, despite the fact that we had both... Estimated that a proper court of inquiry into an attack of this magnitude would take at least six months to conduct, Admiral John McCain Jr., which is a uh, uh, you know the gentleman who ran for president, John McCain Sr. or uh, uh, John McCain III, then Commander in Chief Naval Forces Europe, at his headquarters in London, had charged Admiral Kidd with, uh, in a letter dated June 10th of 1967 to, quote, inquire into all the pertinent facts and circumstances leading to and connected with the armed attack, damage resulting thereof and deaths of of, and injuries to naval personnel. Uh, Despite the short amount of time we were given, we gathered a vast amount of evidence, including hours of heartbreaking testimony from the young survivors. The evidence was clear, both Admiral Kidd and I believed with certainty that this attack, which killed 34 American sailors and injured 172 others, was a deliberate effort to sink an American ship and murder its entire crew. It was our shared belief, based on the documentary evidence and the testimony we received firsthand, that the Israeli attack was planned and deliberate and could not possibly have been an accident. I am certain that the Israeli pilots that undertook the attack, as well as their superiors who had ordered the attack, were well aware that the ship was American. I saw the flag, which had visibly identified the ship as American, riddled with bullet holes, and heard testimony that made it clear that the Israelis intended there to be no survivors." Not only did the Israelis attack the ship with napalm gunfire and missiles, Israeli torpedo boats machine-gunned three lifeboats that had been launched in an attempt by the crew to save the most seriously wounded, a war crime. Regrettably, we did not receive into evidence, and the court did not consider any of the more than 60 witness declarations from men who had been hospitalized and were were unable to testify in person. Um, He goes on. It's a very long statement, but I'll... I'll just I'll just read one or two more things here. Um, Admiral Kidd told me, after returning from Washington, D.C., that he had been ordered to sit down with two civilians from either the White House or the Department of Defense and rewrite portions of the court's findings. Admiral Kidd also told me that he had been ordered to put the lid on everything having to do with the attack on USS Liberty. We were never to speak of it, and we were to caution everyone else involved that they would could never speak of it again. I have no reason to doubt the accuracy of that statement, as I know the Court of Inquiry transcript that, that has been released to the public is not the same one that I certified sent off to Washington. Uh, he concludes the letter with, It is important for the American people to know that it is, a, it is clear that Israel is responsible for deliberately attacking an American ship and murdering American sailors who ber- whose bereaved shipmates have lived with this egregious conclusion for many years. That was dated January ninth, 2004, at Coronado, California. Ward Boston, Jr., Captain, uh, Jag C., U.S. Navy, retired.
1: So I've got to ask you, Luke, where was this in your American history book?
0: Um, Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was nowhere to be found. Um, But that could be because of the fact that I never even brought my book to class
2: in the first place.
1: Well, I'm pretty sure that it wasn't there, actually. (laughs) Yeah.
2: More than me, Stevie. Okay, we're live
1: again. Okay, (laughs) we're back. (laughs) Don't know what exactly happened, but uh, we were talking about the um, existence or lack of existence in the history book of the Liberty incident. The USS Maine is there, but it's generally described as just like an accident, like the boiler room exploded. Yeah, Uh, that
2: happens when you stuff them full of dynamite. (laughs) And to clarify
1: on the uh USS Maine. That was in eighteen ninety eight in Havana Harbor, which basically sparked the Spanish American War mm-hmm. and was apologized for in the nineteen thirties. Yes. By Franklin Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Okay. And
2: Roosevelt A it's funny, Roosevelt A did it and then Roosevelt B apologized for it right, thirty years later. Right,
1: yeah, there's some involvement because uh like uh Roosevelt Theodore Roosevelt I think was the Secretary of the Navy at the time. Mm-hmm. But you know, and then it was re- apologized in the nineteen thirties. Well, someone that we know, Mr. Robert Hyde, mm-hmm. uh he was there told me yeah, he probably <laughs> was, told me that when he was growing up in the nineteen fifties and sixties, people were still celebrating the you know, that the, the remembering the main. Even though it had been apologized for and was obviously not uh you know, a real thing. It was obviously something that was false. Uh-huh. but you got anything you want to add anything or ask any questions
0: um, I know that both of us know a couple we have a couple friends right over in Afghanistan right now and that's, uh, that's yeah. the biggest red flag for me is you know we, we hear stories about them um, it, being friendly with the kids you know handing out food and handing out supplies and everything we're just kind of you know taking over the country the nice way and if you try to mention that to people then they gonna right. be like well you're you're a naysayer you know you're you shouldn't be talking about it this way because we're really helping them. They need our help. But the honest truth is, and the reason that they're rebelling, everyone knows, is because we're trying to change their politics. We're trying to come in, and we're we're basically invading.
1: Even if you go into something with good intentions, you still end up. Right. People are still not going to respond yeah. to that if yeah. you're in their country. I mean, what would you do if somebody was over here in our country?
0: Exactly, and you have to think of it as country just you know china for example even though they really have no, no standing in it right now were to come in and just be nice to us and hey we'll take away all your debt we'll take away the three trillion that you owe probably more now five trillion and for that you know we're going to take a half of your land mass we're going to take half the country you now it belongs to china you know
1: right yeah it's it's a, it's a difficult issue and especially when it's based on things that are not you know honest to begin with uh, things that are that are at most dubious, uh, the justification for being over there, and I think that's yep. something that we're we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Is there any more um, events that you can think of before we start on Operation Gladio? Um, or, I guess the Mozedek thing would be would kind of lead us into that. Their their Iran coup
2: that certainly would. Um, one of the things uh, we can talk more about that, but really. Uh, you can you can even step back for a second and go all the way back to 1952 uh Jacobo Arbenz and Operation PB Success that was kind of the thing i, I mean just i think i haven't i haven't thoroughly come to a, a, a robust conclusion but for me i think it's the I, I i think that's when uh sort of the cold war war guys the dallas brothers and 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 the other folks there uh in that you know the newly created CIA And all William Bettle Smith and all those guys They really like figured it out Hey we can really take over a regime now We can topple countries Yeah we can actually topple countries here Now in earnest it's like Whoa that's useful You know uh, And so uh, it's It's interesting getting back to Getting back to sort of the ethical And philosophical side As a believer it's interesting to see That these guys had redefined evil. Uh, they were okay with sitting around and going, "Well, this side does this and this side doesn't do this, and 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 we're good and they're evil, so we have to do it." You know that that line of thinking, though subtle, you know the idea that we're locked in the struggle to the death. We're good, they're evil. We have to do bad things for the greater good. Is a classic hallmark of uh, well, classic hallmark of Satan, I would say, but uh, certainly a classic hallmark of a lot of lot of bad things that came out of the 50s. Uh, some things that are far field of a, of that would be like uh, um, you know government mind control experiments and stuff. Yeah, MK Ultra. Yeah, MK Ultra, those sort of things. That was really there. You know that the whole idea was you know we have to do this before the Soviets do it. Well, guess what? After that's all been said and done, the Soviets started doing their stuff in 1954. We started in 1952, so.
1: And you know, it's funny, uh, Tom, that you mentioned that because uh, something Luke's been studying over the past few days about like uh, alpha waves. What Was it alpha waves in television? Uh, well, alpha
0: and beta waves are, are not necessarily. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for malicious, that that just explains the different uh, brainwave patterns that you're having throughout the day. You know, kind of like the uh, circadian uh, cycle. Circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm. Yeah. Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, the beta is the fast brain waves, and the alpha is the slow. I don't know. I get it mixed up. But um, what I've been studying is the binaural rhythms, and um, a lot of advancements have been made in that field uh, post 2000. And um, it's very unsettling to me that I found out this is fact that. They have speakers in major, in all major cities that are playing binaural rhythms at a very low frequency, that uh, basically makes everyone docile and calm.
1: And I think that goes back to to what uh, Tom was talking about as about the EMK Ultra. Mm -hmm. You know that there's a lot of that kind of thing going on, and and you can really associate a lot of the EMK Ultra stuff, especially with, uh, you know, keeping people under control, but also you know mind control assassin that goes into a lot of things, a false flag, especially assassinations. Would you agree on that, Tom?
2: Yeah, I mean, it really becomes like a whole melange of things. Uh, you know, uh, I, I it's its just, again, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting. The most interesting part is to really to get back to the idea of sort of unhinged ethics uh, for me, you know. You right. can just be like, oh, it's just sort of whatever, everything's. You know, we got to do this thing, this bad thing because these other people, they're bad. They're bad. And uh, so we have
1: to be as bad as they are.
2: Yeah. But it's okay because we're good. It's it's subtle idolatry actually. Whenever you put something up, whenever you put something up beyond criticism, then you're in trouble. You know. And in this case, people are putting their own actions, motives and other stuff up beyond criticism. So um, it's bad. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, shall we talk a little bit about uh, Mohammed Mossadegh? Sure. Uh, I think a lot of that is where a lot of this uh, really does start. The, yeah.
1: The idea that you could overthrow government. Mm-hmm. And certainly, the, this happened in Iran in 1953. Mm-hmm. And certainly, all the problems that, that supposedly we have with Iran now, you can really date back to the overthrow. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, they had this thing called uh, Operation Ajax. Uh, the general idea it, it, it was it was robustly about oil, specifically British oil. The British were were buying oil at a very steep discounts from the Iranians, uh, and they were able to buy it at a steep discount because they had a whole. You know, a whole load of troops in the country. Yeah, you know? they, they controlled it. Yeah, you know. they, can, they, they controlled it. They controlled the oil bourse and the pipeline. They built it all. They said it's ours. Um, so along those lines, they were selling it to themselves at a steep discount and kind of ripping off the, the Iranians. The Iranians, for their part, really were, were angry about it, got upset, but they didn't have any power. Finally, uh, uh, a Western-educated gentleman named uh, Mohammad Mossadegh, he came forward. And said, "You guys have to leave now. Bye bye. You know, until you pay us, you don't get any more." And the the British tried through clandestine and not so clandestine means uh, just everything they could think of to get rid of Mohammed Mossadegh. They even appealed to the World Court. Uh, they said, "Look, this is ours. Mossadegh you know, needs to sell it to us." Mossadegh showed up in person and gave the speech, and he said, "No, it's ours." Gave it an impassioned speech. He, they won. Uh, the British tried to go it alone and had a coup. Uh, they were discovered. Mohammed Mosaddegh threw them all out of the country. Um, uh, so the, uh, a, a guy, uh, a gentleman, um, what is his name? Morehouse, I think. Oh, let me look here. Uh, a gentleman, uh, he was, he was really instrumental in doing a lot of bad stuff. Uh, it's a general, a British guy, uh, uh, what is his name? Boots on the ground, Montague Woodhouse, Christopher Montague Woodhouse. He was sent to the United States uh, to to convince Eisenhower and the Dallás brothers. Eisenhower was the president at the time, and the Dallás brothers, who were ch- running the CIA, to effect a, cu- a coup to overthrow Mossadegh, uh, and regain British control of the Iranian oil fields. And Woodhouse, he was a pretty smart guy. For his for this, I will give him credit for being intelligent uh he went, he went and recognized immediately that uh, going to his American counterparts and saying, you've got to help us with this colonialist thing would just get him thrown out of Washington. So he went and told, the, and told uh, Eisenhower and the Dallas brothers, he said, look, man, you have got to look out for communism. Dun, 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 it's on the rise in Iran. And, and that was the thing that they went. Really? Wow, we gotta, you're right, we've got to do something about this And Eisenhower actually had some severe misgivings about this But the Dulles brothers said, no, we really should go through with this And he's like, oh, I don't know. You okay. know there's always an ism Yeah, it's, it's the ism uh, His appeal, uh, for its part, worked perfectly The Dulles brothers uh, were some of the most ferocious of the Cold Warriors at that time They were really into it uh, And together with the help of several others They sat around and eventually convinced Eisenhower Uh, of the importance of just doing away with Mossadegh and overthrowing uh, the Iranian government, even though Iran was a constitutional monarchy where the parliament enjoyed considerable lawmaking powers. And at this point, uh, the Shah was almost a figurehead, you know, very, very close politically to the British system. Um, So they assigned two guys to be kind of the boots on the ground, One was Kermit Roosevelt, son of Teddy Roosevelt. You see those Roosevelt's showing up all over the place, sort of like a bad penny. Uh, And then the other guy was a Persian specialist named Don Wilbur, who actually published an extensive paper on the events surrounding Operation Ajax. Uh, You can actually go and get online and type in uh, Donald Wilbur Operation Ajax, and he brings a paper up that he wrote in 1954, 55, an after-action report, which you can read. Uh, that lists a lot of this information. Uh, the idea was, okay, so we've got to throw Muhammad Mossadegh, o- overthrow him. And, the, pre- and the, the attack was set up along four main themes. One was smear uh, 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 smear Muhammad Mossadegh in the press, in the mosques, and in the streets to radically undermine his popularity. The second one would be a false arrest tactic, uh, where they would go to Mossadegh 's house, present him with a royal decree, which was technically illegal, uh, and dismissing him and then arrest him. The third was to incite chaos. We're going to have mobs take control of the streets uh, and false flag kidnappings, buying off parliament members, murders, uh, et cetera, et cetera, designed to make people fe- fearful of Mossadegh. And then finally, all of a sudden, the knight in the shining armor, the CIA's handpicked man... Uh, would be announced as the new Shah and uh, or the new prime minister by the Shah, whose Shah just means king, uh, where he would come triumphantly forward to accept the nomination and put down all this madness and we could all have peace. Government saves us again. Uh, so everything was going... That, I mean, they just did a lot of bad stuff. Everything was going well. They paid uh, uh, They paid uh, their hand-picked guy... Was a guy named General Fazola Zahedi. They gave him a bunch of money to buy off men in the military. Um, uh, H. Norman Schwarzkopf, the name probably sounds familiar, uh, he was the father of Storman Norman. Uh, he, was very, he was looked at very, uh, very highly by the Shah there. And part of this plan, as I mentioned early was, earlier, was they needed an official decree dismissing Mossadegh, even though it was technically illegal. But the Shah was he, was, he was kind of a pansy. He really didn't, he wasn't into this stuff. Um, so it took Donald Wilbur, Kermit Roosevelt, and H. Norman Schwarzkopf, who incidentally, uh, you know, that name, uh, that name means a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of things there in the history of, uh, of the Middle East, as we know. But one thing that H. Norman Schwarzkopf, this is just an aside that, that he did do, There in the 50s when he trained their secret police So all of the kidnappings and tortures and stuff Torturing and stuff that took on in the 60s Can be traced directly to H. Norman Schwarzkopf's Sort of hand in setting up the secret police Uh, Anyway, the three of these guys finally coerced the Shah Over a series of meetings to sign uh, Royal decrees that carry the color That sort of carried with it the color of law uh, And that was dismissing Mossadegh as prime minister and um, uh, the second one, two of them, dismissed Mossadegh's prime minister. Was The second one was to install Fazola Zahedi as prime minister. Um, they got this guy, Colonel Nimatola Nasiri. Uh, he was picked to deliver the firmans to Mossadegh's house. Um, the problem was is that uh, he got to Mossadegh's house and the lights were off and Mossadegh had found out what was going on and gotten some, like, sort of – the Iranian equivalent of Navy SEALs to hide in the bushes. And so uh, Nasiri came up to the door, knocked, handed in the letters, and these guys materialize out of the woods with machine guns and say, You're coming with us. They capture him. Well, as news of the failed coup becomes apparent, Kermit Roosevelt, uh, who was the mastermind, decides to improvise one. Uh, uh, to do this, he and the rest of the group turned again, to the mob, you know, they had paid off, I hadn't really covered this, uh, too much, but they had paid off the mob as part of their strategy to sort of riot in the streets and stuff and do crazy stuff, and this time, they just, they said, look, we've got like 72 hours to really make a splash, so they paid off both pro and anti mossadegh supporters to go out and loot, steal, burn, and destroy stuff in the city of Tehran, um, they, indeed, they even found protesters with 500 real notes still stuffed in their, in their pockets lying dead. You know, when the pro and the anti clashed and they started fighting. Um, the whole thing, the whole thing, uh, there ended up being a big battle at Mossadegh's house where the army, which was sort of on Mossadegh's side, and uh, soldiers loyal to uh, Zahedi and Kermit Roosevelt, were fighting over the course of about two hours. The thing got so close to being discovered that Zahedi's in, a, in this hideout, you know, in this boiler room, and he's getting, them, he's getting Kermit Roosevelt is getting him ready, sprucing him up, putting the general stuff on, here's your hat, make sure your shoes are polished, all that sort of stuff. A crowd bursts in to grab Zahedi and lifts him on their, on their shoulders to this waiting tank that's going to go to Mosaddegh's house. Um, because it likely could give, likely give the whole thing away, like this crowd bursts in and they're like, Zahedi, hey, what's this American guy doing here? Um, uh, Roosevelt ended up having to hide behind a boiler in the corner. Uh, and and Zahedi rode away on top of this tank to, to uh, Muhammad Mosaddegh's house. Uh, anyway, by that afternoon, there was a huge battle between Mosaddegh loyalists and people loyal to, loyal to General Zahedi. By that evening, Zahedi's faction had won and there was an announcement on Tehranian radio that Mossadegh was out and Zahedi was a new prime minister. Uh, that night, the CIA quietly gave the new regime $5 million to get their wheels turning again because they were kind of out of money. That was part of the, one of the un, sort of uh, the, the lesser legs of the plan, starve out the economy there. You know, they put a, they put a kibosh on, on, on them doing any, tor- any type of business, so the, they were kind of going broke. Um, anyway, Donald Wilbur, the guy who kind of masterminded this whole thing, he says at the end of his paper on this whole thing for the CIA, which you can look up, he says, it was a day that should never have ended for it carried with it such a sense of excitement, of satisfaction and of jubilation that it is doubtful whether any other can come up to it. Our trump card had prevailed and the shot was victorious. So, you know, he makes no bones about throwing, throwing this popularly elected gentleman over. You know, So uh, a lot of times what you see It's interesting if you meet older Iranians um, uh, If you'll indulge me for a second To just comment widely uh, Iranian folks tend to be very emotional And if you want to see that sort of on display find an, find an older Iranian gentleman And ask him about uh, What they think about Mohammad Mossadegh And the CIA's involvement in overthrowing him And they'll get off and fired up
1: Wow and they'd have to be fairly old old because, yep. I mean, this was 60 years ago, mm-hmm. almost 60 years ago. 54. Yep. It's a, uh, it just amazes me, um, especially about Iran, because a lot of, the, that I've looked into is historical studies, mm-hmm. that it seems that um, a lot of the things, especially the Islamic revolution in 1979, probably would not have happened had Rosadeck not been thrown out.
2: No. And that they probably would have,
1: the, Iran probably would have been a more democratic society. And now, as you hear, you know, the whole American line is, well, we want to bring democracy to everybody and such. And it seems that, you know, well, there was the chance, but uh, because somebody was greedy and just wanted the, the oil, mm-hmm. it seems that, uh, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Do you want to add anything?
0: Um, I just don't understand how oil is really an issue, you know, re- regarding all of the reserves we have right here in America. Like, I just yeah. can't really see oil being the major cause of all of these events.
2: Well, it's, it, yeah, it depends on what time you're looking at in history. In the '50s, oil was much harder to get at. We didn't know that we had these vast oil reserves, say up north. And, you know, we didn't have the technology to go and get it. Uh, we do have that now. But at this point, it's it's in the interest of people to have, to, for, for several different sort of loose confederations of groups, to have energy, energy prices high because it's like Coca-Cola. When you go to the store and you buy a Coke, you know, you go and you buy, I don't know, you go to, a, say, an Italian place, you buy a sandwich. Uh, the food and stuff that you buy – and the french fries and stuff that you buy they don't make that much money on it but the coke right it's water and a couple of couple of drops of of high fructose corn syrup so essentially yeah yeah it's essentially pennies on the dollar right, right. they make a lot of money on the soda right yes. um and it's sort of the same the same general idea with uh, with with oil too you know uh, there are a lot of things that go into play with it you know, supply and demand bottlenecks, that sort of thing, um, but generally, having having energy energy costs high uh, means that somebody's making money. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I ranted on the last uh, episode about uh, the suppressed gas technology throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1913 was whenever this uh, gas vapor research was first being uh, explored. And, of course, he got shut down even as far back then, you know, because he's not part of the grand plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he got shut down by the oil companies mm-hmm. who have been um, rebellion ever since J.P. Morgan. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. It seems to be just the the same old story. Right. There's mm-hmm. a, another technology, but yet everybody's still fighting over the same stuff. There's yeah, there's a... cartel wants to control it.
2: Yeah, there's a car here. There's a car just north of here. Uh, well, a great example of that would be... There's a gentleman south of Nashville who uh, worked for a university. And if you're from Nashville, there's really only two or three that are south of Nashville. Uh, he worked for a university there and built, actually built a car that ran on hydrogen. And uh, uh, they, uh, he ended up getting arrested for some trumped-up charges, and they were like, where's your car? And uh, he was smart enough to hide it and uh i don't want to give it away too too much but there are certain there are cer- certain car museums you can go to in the united states and see a certain out of place 1974 ford nova right and uh and it's like what is this doing here you know
0: yeah, i've uh, i've seen several documentaries now uh this has kind of taken up my interest uh older older gentlemen talking about their inventions and how they tried to push, it you know, really ingenious things like uh, funnelers, you know, that uh, mm-hmm. reduce the, 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 the gas drip or something like that. I don't really know. What I've been studying, like you said, is electrolysis through hydrogen, uh, HHO gas, and mm-hmm. uh, I've been studying a little bit about, about gas vapor, and that's the biggest breakthrough um, late 70s. Uh, Pogue, is his last name, uh, first name Jimmy, something like that?
1: You know, know a lot more about this than I do, yeah, um, <laughs> you Bogue, guys really do
0: Pogue actually came up with uh, a carburetor that got close to five hundred miles per gallon wow, and um he was in legal battles with Shell Company all along uh, after Shell was unsuccessful, they didn't really have a court case uh, they didn't really have a case with him. so he ended out he ended up coming out on top, but then he would he um O D'd on medication. Oh, you know? right. Conveniently, he O D'd on medication. Did even he? Did he, he
1: strangle himself with a tube? <laughs> 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 a,
0: a, a genius man um, doesn't realize the limits of his pharmaceuticals. You know, he doesn't realize how much to take per day, even though he's, if he, even if he did have any medication in the first place.
1: Sure. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Just people that die mysteriously, right. and I think. You know, again, um that's something that goes back to and what we're we're gonna touch on here for a little bit is the uh the Operation Gladio thing. There's plenty of mysterious deaths involved there.
2: Yep. People get shot full of more holes than Swiss cheese.
1: And, <laughs> and it's the kind of the same thing, you know, in, just in southern that, Europe, yeah. That, that that just die um inexplicably, whether it's 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 something like what we're talking about, the false flag, or mm-hmm. what Luke's talking well, about with suppression.
0: death is just easily admissible, you know? You hear right. thing on the news, and it's not yeah.
2: going to make anybody suspicious. Tons of suicide.
1: bullet holes. <laughs> I think there was a guy that beheaded himself at one time, too. He yeah, cut his own head off.
2: Yeah, I'm sure it's mean, hard to
1: do, but I, mean, I, think, I think it's possible.
0: Being a brilliant inventor, you know, just want to decapitate <laughs> yourself, right? Because you don't have the resources
1: to actually make it in the world. Well, it's be either be that or strangle yourself with a tube.
2: Mm-hmm. I hate when that. And that's sense. an
1: actual true. Someone there, there was someone actually named Phil Snyder that uh, said that he was involved with like UFO bases and such. And he, the guy actually was. Uh, they said that he strangled himself with a tube. But I digress. Yeah. Yep. Let's touch on Operation Gladio for a little bit. We'll probably get more into that like next week. But yeah, let's like, touch on what that is.
2: And... Well, Operation Gladio is was a really, really, really big operation. It encompassed all of the nations of Europe and as well as Cyprus and uh, Turkey and it started about say 1947-48 um, and went all the way up into basically the Berlin wall, wall fell and the idea was to develop what's called a strategy of tension and uh, the idea is how uh, is is uh it's basically an idea of creating, uh, creating through false flag terrorism and other things, uh, a need, uh, uh, a need to be scared of the unknown. There's like bad stuff going on in the public, so we need big government. Um, uh, the idea was developed. Uh, the idea was developed by the by NATO most robustly in Italy. Um, and uh, they have this thing called the Years of Lead. From about 1969 to 1980 or so, where there were hundreds of bombings, kidnappings, shootings, murders, terrorist acts, uh, including a, uh, if you want to if you want to go go back to 1964 and include the coup that they had there, then that would be you know you could include that too. Um, the idea was is that you take these, it's sort of there were sort of three levels. What you did is. Uh, you have national and international players, you know, heads of state, and then you had regional governor, governors, state police, and other people, movers and shakers regionally, and then you had local, like the local yokel. Uh, what would happen is that they would say, Look, we need to, the, the, the people at the top would say, Look, we need to do this. So the, the regional people would grab some, grab folks and say, You need some training. And send them to CIA bases and stuff and all of these things. And train them on how to, uh, how to do things. You know, um, blow up buildings, kidnap people, throw them in trunks, Molotov cocktails. All of these things. How to, how to do these things without getting caught. And uh, uh, there's, a great, there's a great video. Um, unfortunately, we can't play video. This is the radio. Um, There's a great video of, uh, one of the heads of Gladio. Um, Gladio had many different people, you know, like Gladio, Belgium had a head, uh, Gladio, Italy had a head, Gladio, Germany, you know, on and on. All the, all the European countries had a, had some guy whose specific thing was to sort of, uh, run Gladio. Um, and he was talking about this training base there for Gladio and, uh, uh, the idea was is he's saying look you know we've achieved this high level of training and all this stuff and the guy says look yeah we don't care about any of the high level training we want to know how good you got your guys could be in fomenting like uh doing terrorist acts here and not getting caught in italy and he's like whoa it's pretty outside the budget guys um but whenever you press Okay, <laughs> <Sweet>. Con- continue. <laughs> let, me, um, let me back up just a little okay. bit here. I don't think I really adequately answered your question about what Gladio was. Gladio was originally set up, uh, thought up by a bunch of NATO guys, where they said what we need to, the idea is, is they said, man, those Russians are going to pour in from Eastern Europe through the Volga Gap, which is a, a large gap in the mountains. They're going to pour them through the Volga Gap, and they're going to they're like, kick butt and take names and take over Europe. And so what we need to do is we need to train people now so they can sit, they look like normal folks, and just kind of do their thing there in, you know, different countries, Germany, France, England, not England so much, but Germany, France, Belgium, Austria, these other places, so that we already have, like, an underground, you know, like the French underground. We already have that in place. They're well-trained. They're well-financed. They've got radios that they can communicate to you know, to the U S about and all that sort of stuff. That is it's provided that everybody
1: survived a nuclear war, but yeah.
2: Yeah. They were, they, they thought, well, if we, if, if everybody goes nuked then you know, nobody's it's all, it's all done. Right. You know? Um, but they said in the event of sort of a conventional war, then it's cool, you know? Uh, so the idea, the idea quickly was taken over by people who said, a stay-behind secret army? I've got an idea. How about we assassinate people we don't like in country? You know? And, and indeed, that's kind of what happened. In 1952. Um, what was the guy's name? Oh, his name escapes me.
1: Well, I mean, as time wears on, and the Soviets don't invade,
2: I mean, you, you have to give those people a purpose. Mm-hmm. So, blowing up, Blowing up their countrymen was one of the purposes. Unfortunately, yeah, fortunately. yeah. Um, they were used during um, Operation Piano Solo, uh, which was a sort of a semi-coup, 1964. Um, that was kind of their first first thing, you know. But it kind of it kind of got out of hand pretty quickly by the by the mid 70s. The mid 70s, um, Gladio was actually having like Conferences and hotels and stuff. Like, hey, a clandestine warfare conference, you know, seventy nine ninety five buys you a ticket and uh, gets you uh, gets you a front row seat for the buffet, you know. Um. So I, I, it was it was just bad, you know. Um, December twelfth. Here's here's one incident, the Piazza Fontana bombing. December 12, 1969, a bomb was exploded at the headquarters of Banca Nacional dell'Agricoltura, forgive my bad Italian, um, in Piazza Fontana, killing 17 people and wounding 88. Three more bombs were detonated in Rome and Milan that same day. Uh, Now, the chief guy, who was one of the big operators at that time, was a guy named Vincenzo Vinciguera. Uh, He made this statement to the Guardian newspaper. The terrorist line was followed by camouflaged people, people belonging to the security apparatus or those linked to the state apparatus through rapport or collaboration. I say that every single outrage that followed from 1969 fitted into a single and organized matrix. So he's saying this thing was the boilerplate of all of the other terrorist incidents that happened in Italy in the 70s. Um, uh, he goes on, he says, uh, avant Nacional and Ordin Nuevo, who were the two main right-wing terrorist groups active during the 1970s, were being mobilized into the battle as part of an anti-communist strategy originating not within the organizations deviant from the institutions of power, but w- from within the state itself, and specifically from within the gamut of the state's relations within the Atlantic Alliance. Uh, General Giandalo Maletti even suggested in court testimony that the massacre had been carried out by the Italian stay-behind army and right-wing terrorists on the specific orders of the U.S. Secret Service with the express intent to discredit Italian communi- communists and to get the public to embrace a more authoritarian government. Um, interestingly, the man that was arrested for the Piazza Fontana bombing uh He fell out of a four story window at the police station before he could be questioned hmm. <laughs> um, it 's just and there were there were lots of things like that in italy italy 's a great place to look at that there 's a great video i can 't get a hold of uh, because i haven 't tried very hard um, but it 's uh it 's a guy. It's a gentleman who says he worked for the CIA and he's got the documentation and stuff. It appears legitimate. He's an Italian guy who goes on and on and on about all of the heroin smuggling and drug smuggling that the CIA and P2, which was a sort of a semi-secret society.
1: Right. There's, Not, some, there's some links with P2 and what a lot of people think is uh, the assassination of the first John Paul, mm-hmm. who uh, was only pope for like a month and he wanted to open up the banking. The, the bank books in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And one of those guys ended up hanging from a bridge.
2: Mm-hmm. I hate when that happens. Uh, yeah, um, They did a lot of bad stuff, you know, unfortunately. Uh, there was a lot of bad stuff that happened in Italy, and it just sort of, that was it, you know. That was kind of the thing. Um, I don't know, what else? What else do you want to talk about?
1: Well, um, I kind of want to continue just if there's any questions that uh, you want to ask Luke because um, I, I think next week I want to continue a little bit with Operation Gladio there's a lot of detail there
2: yeah there's we could do ton. we could do weeks and weeks of shows yeah, on Gladio yeah. well you could do it with somebody else who was more knowledgeable I'm sort of, <laughs> no you're
1: pretty, you're pretty knowledgeable
2: I don't remember I don't remember all of the, the Gladio few, stuff I think
1: that, I, that, that really knows about that and a lot of people don't know about it mm-hmm. and I, I think it goes into I mean it, it's just it's classic false flag and I wanted to add it to add about the str- the concept of strategy of tension mm-hmm. and how that you had said that that is something that that is used to people that more well you know the government can save us. I'm I'm very much reminded of like the Columbine, word massacre, mm-hmm. Uh you know I don't know if there's anything covert in that, but uh, it seemed to be that as soon as that happened, everybody was like, let's take away everybody's guns, mm-hmm. and Let's uh let's get everybody Yeah, there's very much a, a sense for like for, for gun control. And th- it just seems like the same thing. It, like the strategy attention, you up and up and up and up right. and people just
0: Columbine doesn't seem to me like a planned incident. But, no, but using that for gun control to kind of tend down the NRA and all
1: of that. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things that if you did do certain small things Uh, small events and you upped the tension in the society then something like that would just magnify it even more so who's to say what exactly happened there we
0: gotta change our color to uh, orange or amber
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) or or whatever it is it gets a full from green to red the full right is there anything that you want to add or anything that you want to ask uh, Tom Bonnick I
0: believe we missed two things today on this episode what's up well uh, one dinner to
2: yeah send in some history questions
0: <laughs> yeah send in, a hi- send in a history question to try to challenge adam yeah i don't knows. know if that's going to happen if the listeners doesn't know he is a history major so
1: yeah i, I know a ton but this this gentleman sitting across from me mr bonick knows a lot too about uh He's really studied it in detail. Yep. And uh, I've seen his PowerPoint presentation, and uh, it was interesting because um, we were at a conference, and he was giving this PowerPoint presentation. The same weekend that he was given that was when the uh, the shooting happened in Norway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that that's pretty classic as well. And there, there, can you go into a little bit, uh, Tom, about? That there's always seems to be some kind of exercise or test that's going on, mm-hmm. especially with like nine eleven, the seven seven bombings, the Norway incident last year. Seems to be that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there seems to be a lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. That there's a test, and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden it, the test becomes real.
2: Yeah, um, there's that. That seems to be a classic sort of thing. There's always. like some there's always some test going on exactly the same as what the actual incident is a great example would be 9-11 of course um for six hours and it's an entire in its entire 54-year history NORAD the North American radar and aeronautical defense system was shut off for six hours uh to run a run a a drill of somebody crashing planes into buildings and how the government would respond. And, well, that's the same, that's exactly the same thing that happened, you know. Um, the 7-7 bombings, they were running drills in downtown London uh, detailing that, precisely that. You know, they, just on and The very know, same day. Yeah, the very same day. What a coincidence. Yeah. In fact, the guy, the the company who was sort of tasked with managing that and sort of overseeing it so the so the government could respond to it he actually ended himself ended locking himself in the bathroom because he didn't want to answer questions about it you know people were like, "Wait a minute, you're telling me they were running a drill on the same day of this you know and he's like, "Well yeah, we don't like to talk about it and next thing you know it kind of got out of hand he's like, "Oh I think I made a mistake here and like hoofed it to the bathroom locked the door you know <laughs> And uh, so, so yeah, that's kind of how I got out of the interview, locking himself in the, in the loo, as what they say. What did you know about
1: went. the Norway shooting last year?
2: Um, uh, that things are seldom as they seem. Yeah. Uh, you know, they said that there were ample reason for concern that Islamic terrorists might be responsible. One thing – that I often found in- interesting. I, I have I've yet to really study it and sort of condense the facts down. But one thing that I, th- I found odd was part of the thing he was going to blow up a building. And they found 6,000 pounds of this, like, explosive in the second story of a building. How does a single guy get 6,000 pounds of explosive up a flight of stairs? I mean, it, you know, those Norwegians are like tough guys. But they're not 6,000 pounds up flights of stairs in one That's afternoon. Saw, yeah. He's one of those world's strongest men. He's, yeah. he's
1: a meathead.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean that that to me that alone says, hmm, something's going on here. We got we gotta check this check this you know check this out. Um. Yeah, I, I really don't know know that much about it. Other than you know, if I had to guess, I would say the shooter might be a. Um, I didn't leave my window down.
0: Yeah,
2: same here. Um uh the shooter might be a uh um like a like an MP, you know, multiple personality sort of guy.
1: Yeah, and I think the guy was a the the guy in Norway was also a
2: freemason or
1: something. Yeah, he was very animated. a picture of him a very freemasonic
2: regalia. Yeah, he's a very very dedicated freemason. I remember that. Yeah. Well, I think it's about time to call it.
1: Um, Anything that you got, you want to add?
0: Number two, was we'll the Alex
1: Jones <laughs> Well, I think we're going to try to do that next week. Right. We're going to have a guest on uh, in a few weeks, and uh, he does an awesome impression of <laughs> Alex Jones. You can go ahead and save it, huh? Yeah, Tom uh, asked that we not do. The oh, Alex Taylor Taylor Taylor. Taylor. oh, you can do Taylor. it all you <laughs> want. I'm just not going to participate. <laughs> Black pyramids. Bohemian <laughs> <laughs> <40 minutes>, Grove. <laughs>
2: Been there. <laughs> Fluoride under <in> the water!
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're from San Francisco, so you've been to the... Yeah, I actually did go, to the,
2: I did go to the front gate. Yes, I did. I tried to get in. That's one time, that's one time where my good looks didn't get me anywhere.
1: Wow. You yep. never told me that. That's true, man. <laughs> well, Tom, we want to thank you for coming on the show. Word. And uh, we're going to have you back next week. Fat city. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more. Mm-hmm. About the Operation Gladiator, I tried to get in a little bit of detail, um, and we won't dwell too much on that, because I want to talk about another um, topic, which is your work on sleep paralysis. Word. And uh, we'll get into that a little more. I think it kind of dovetail into our interview last uh, time with Prime. Sweetness. Which was extremely interesting. Awesome. And I think that you're going to have a extremely different viewpoint on that. I'm sure I will. And that's the reason that we're here is to give people um a many different viewpoints of a voice on this show. And uh I want to thank you, Luke. Thank you for you being here. Me, You're very welcome. Fancy lad. Fancy lad. <laughs>
2: Black Pyramids.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 ah! <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is a very angry man. <laughs> I don't know. We well, want to thank it. everybody for uh, listening. And uh, a couple of things before we go. There is a Facebook page up. Please like us. It is Conspiranormal. That is the word Conspiracy with an I and then normal.
0: Thanks for spilling
1: that <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, and there's an email address, conspiranormal at gmail.com.
0: Whose brains are clouded with uh, excessive fluoride right.
1: residue. Right. Pineal, pineal glands atrophied. Please, uh, please send us uh, please send your history questions so that uh, you can stump me. <laughs> and uh, I guess that's all. We're going to call it a night. I want to thank everybody for listening to Conspiranormal.
2: So, you've got an idea for a business the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out everything.